This is episode number six of the Greenlight Real Estate Podcast. Welcome to the Greenlight Real Estate Podcast, the go-getter's guide to real estate investing and financial freedom. Here are your hosts, Naeem Smith and Mike Collins. Welcome, everybody, to the show. My name is Naeem Smith. Mike, what's going on, man? Doing great, Naeem. Had a great episode with Chris. Excited to get into it. How are you doing, though? Chris is really well connected and he just knows a lot about business. So I just can't wait for our audience just to be able to listen in and learn about his experience and everything that he has to offer. Also to add to that, this is episode number six and it's just crazy that we're, we've made it this far. So just hats off to us and hats off to the audience for just sticking with us, staying with us during this process and just can't look forward to bringing you guys more content and learning together. So yeah. It's pretty crazy, and we've got some uh, some really good shows in the pipeline in addition to the today's show, so stay tuned. So before we get started, though, we have an engaging topic of the day, and so sit back and think. I'm taking a federal taxation class, and it's actually very interesting, and a lot of people wouldn't say that because, you know, you think, oh, taxes, that's boring, but... I actually want to get the professor on the class. She's has like over 20 years experience in real estate tax to be exact. And um, anyway, that's kind of a side note for you, Mike, and just for our listeners going on into the future. And one of the topics that was the discussion of the day is that if you were to set up your business, where is one of the best states to set it up and why? Do you, do you know, Mike? And... Before you answer, it's close to your home state. Okay, so I wasn't going to answer Connecticut because I know it's not. A lot of businesses have been leaving. My next guess was going to be Texas because I'm doing a lot of research for my capstone paper, which is all about foreign investment in real estate. And you see a ton of businesses coming into Austin. You know, Austin's exploding and Dallas too. And just, you know, you got Tesla, Apple, Amazon, Samsung all these big companies coming in. So I would have guessed Texas, but if it's near Connecticut, it's not Texas. So what is it? It's Delaware. And yeah, really. And I'll make sure to, we'll make sure to put in the links so you can get more information in the show notes. But uh, you might be wondering why the second smallest state in the U.S. can be the place for business entities. And some of the things that uh, go that are key into why is that it get, has privacy protection, asset protection, tax benefits, business friendly laws, cheaper filing fees, and investor appeals. So in those articles, they'll explain explicitly why. Yeah, that is interesting. But Naeem, how would that apply to the basic real estate investor just getting started out of college? Yeah, so this is kind of interesting because you can actually set up entities in certain states llc's for example um so this is actually crazy because it just came to mind is that my internship that i just accepted from bdo which is a tax um you know it's it's a global company I, i think it's global at least i know it's nationwide and they're actually based out of delaware for their um, company. So I thought that was really interesting when, you know, I was writing this up and then I was like, oh, wow. Like, so, I mean, that's just one real world case. But anyway, it's really important for the average investor that's just starting off because you need to know the laws and how you can use them to your advantage 
And, you know, there's some states that are more uh, investor friendly than others. And this can honestly create more wealth for you faster by, you know, knowing tax law and different stuff like that. So do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, well, Chris talks about it later when we ask about the structure of his corporation and everything. And he talks about the mothership and how each kind of property is its own company. Um, and I think that plays right into this. You know, I mean, if I'm not sure on the specifics, you know, being just very green in this, you probably know more. But like, is it possible to set up an LLC in Delaware to go and invest in, say, Texas or in Colorado? Is that possible? See, I am not a licensed CPA or a lawyer. We will get this answer for you. We will, we will get this answered at a later date. But from my understanding, yes, you can like set up certain entities in certain states. And actually, uh, like for example, you can set up your entity in Delaware, but it could be in Texas, let's say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you actually won't get taxed in Delaware, but you can just set it up there to mm. for the benefits. Interesting. Um, but you'd end up getting taxed in uh, Texas, let's say. Okay. Potentially. Interesting. I, I that's from my understanding. But we will get we on will somebody. We will, we will get somebody this. on the show to talk about this because I'd like to know more. So maybe yeah, we get too. maybe we get my professor on the show. And to we talk can about do some it. research before yeah, our next show. Yeah, we'll we'll do some research. So. Anyway, make sure you guys rate and review, subscribe, and share our podcast. Please be honest with your ratings and just let us know what you do and you don't like because, you know, it just helps us to be able to create better content for you guys. Also, if you're inspired or positively impacted by the episode, please share it with your friends and family who you're close to. And, you know, honestly, honestly, why we made this show is just we want to wake people up and get them out the rat race and... Uh, the matrix and just help educate ourselves. Yeah. And also with that, if you guys have any recommendations that you want to see on, or there's specific topic you guys want to cover, please let us know that too. And we'll try and get some people on that can talk about those things. Just before we start, uh, we just want to make sure you listen to Chris's tips on how to set up a corporation and business and company so that it, uh, you get the most benefits and limit your risks in it as well as, failure and embracing risk, how to find and be a great employee, the importance of integrity, and lastly, advice for those fresh out of school looking for a job. Our guest today is Chris Collado, and he is a co-general partner of Morningside Capital based in Houston, Texas. Very fortunate to be able to get Chris on the show today. Chris has tons of experience in real estate and just not to toot his horn, but he's definitely one of the smartest guys that I, I know. Just can't wait to hear his, his story and everything that he has to offer to tell to us today. So, Mike, let's bring him on. Yeah. Chris, great to have you on. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you, guys. How are y'all doing? Great. great. Yeah, doing great. Can't wait to hear. Yeah. So, uh, let's jump in, Chris. Can you tell us in the audience a little bit about yourself and kind of what's your story? Sure. Um, well, first, thank you guys for having, having me. And- we know, we know Naeem from interning with us, and obviously Mike uh, played football at Rice, and I've become kind of a, um, a supporter of Rice, even though I didn't go there. Um, so my story is uh, born and raised in Houston, uh, went to Jesuit for high school, went to UT Austin for college, uh, studied finance at Texas uh, with a minor in accounting. I graduated. For some reason, I decided I wanted to do investment banking. 
Um, so I did energy investment banking for about two and a half years um, and quickly decided that wasn't really what I wanted to do with myself. Um, learned a lot, worked with a lot of smart people and uh, had a good experience doing it, but was always sort of interested tangentially in real estate. My dad uh, sold houses, he managed properties when I was a kid, so I've always kind of been around it on the residential side and I was curious about commercial real estate and so I started doing commercial real estate about 20 years ago and worked for a company called Metro National and Metro National is a family owned company that uh, they own all the property around Memorial City Mall if you guys know where Memorial City Mall is. So Gessner and I-10, it's basically an entire um, just a huge tract of land, basically from the Beltway all the way to basically Bunker Hill. So I worked there for a little bit, um, quickly decided that wasn't a great fit for me, just it was a family family company, it was slow moving, I was still young and wanted to go really hard. Um, so then I went and worked at a company called Lionstone here in Houston, it's a private equity firm. That's actually where I met Mike Eklund. So uh, Mike and I have worked together for 15 years now. Um, and we met at Lionstone. And Lionstone was a great place <clears throat> to really learn the basics of, of real estate. It was very small, but it was started by three extremely experienced and extremely intelligent real estate guys that worked at Heinz. You guys probably heard of Heinz, the, maybe the biggest developer in the world of uh, office buildings. And so Mike and I worked together at Heinz for about three years. Um, really got to see them grow from a very small organization, kind of like we're at right now with Morningside, um, of maybe eight people when I started to, and maybe, I don't know, 200 million of equity under management. To today, they probably have, I'm not actually sure, but maybe like five or six billion uh, today. Um, and they have, I don't know, 50 or 60 employees. So anyway, we worked there together for a while. Um, and then Mike and I went off on our own in May of 2008. And if you know, if you've read or you know your history a little bit, uh, the world ended in October of 2008. Um, that's when Lehman Brothers went out of business. Um, and a lot of, basically the world was ending. So there was a, a massive recession that happened. So we couldn't have timed it better to start the first business. Um, we had a project up in Austin that we did that was brutal. It was our first project on our own. Um, and we, we lost money and it was really, a, really a terrible, terrible experience, but we learned a lot. We probably learned more from that than anything else we've done in our careers. And it, that experience, I think, shaped the way we think about things to this day. Um, and I still think about it to this day on everything that we do. So, um, fast forward, we started Morningside about seven years ago. Um, and I think you guys kind of have a feel for what Morningside's doing, but we have about 150 million of equity under management currently. Yeah, I remember Mike talking about Morningside. We really jumped into it. That's interesting. We were just talking about, um, we just recorded another episode and we we're talking about like the importance of being willing to fail and how failure can teach you a lot. Can you just talk about, you know, obviously you kind of did, but sure. how failure with that first project really taught you a lot? Absolutely. Um, you learn. I don't know what the number is, but you learn a hundred times more when you fail than when you succeed. There's no question about it. Um, and I'm sure it's the same way, like in athletics, what you guys do, uh, you're going to fail. Like it's a guarantee in life. You will die, you'll pay taxes and you will fail at something. 
at some point. Um, and, and so there's no question that will happen, right? Yeah. But I think the difference for people is how you respond to it. So I think um, a lot of people, and I've had this in other parts of my life where I fail at something and I stop doing it. Um, just say it's not for me, it's not worth it. <clears throat> in work, um, that's usually not an option unless you want to change careers. And so I think going through that experience and there's lots of sleepless nights and a lot of just um, just terribleness, honestly. A lot of anxiety, a lot of stress, um, a lot of stress about our personal financial situation. And that teaches you something and it teaches you that um, I never want to ever be in this position again if I can help it. And you have to do the right thing. You always need to do the right thing. And if you do the right thing, and what I mean is like you're upfront with people, you're honest with people, you communicate, you pick up the phone, and when some when things are going bad and somebody calls you, you pick up the phone, you have the conversation, and you're honest. Generally speaking, for 90% of the time, 99% of the time, people are understanding. Um, they understand that mistakes happen. Rarely do people go into something intending to fail. I don't think anyone ever does that really, but it does happen. And so it's, um, it's taking that, taking that experience and then turning it to something positive. And so I think that's the real key. Um, and, and it's going to happen. Like, I don't think I realized that when I was graduating from college, um, you don't think that, but then life has a way of beating you down and you have to get back up. Like that's part of the deal. You get back up, you try really hard, you, you learn from it, learn from your mistakes. Don't repeat the same mistake over and over again. Like that's, we talked to Naeem this summer and with the uh, Skylar and Neva that work for us. Like they're going to screw stuff up. That's fine. But like, don't screw it up multiple times. The same thing, right? Learn from, learn from what you've done wrong. So it's huge. Um, and that experience to this day shapes the way that we think about investing. Yeah, I think that's very powerful. And like you just said, we kind of talked about failure yeah. on a just previous podcast that we recorded and that it's something that you have to embrace because you know you're going to inf- to fail, but it's such a quality learn. quality learning experience and that it can make you wealthy with knowledge and then hopefully in your pocketbooks later, you know. Yeah. I liked I liked how also you brought it up immediately, but when we talked with Mike last time, he was just like, "Yeah, integrity is the most important part of being a successful investor." And you know, you guys are both on the same page with that, so I thought that's really cool. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I think just for our audience, it's really important to know like these are two guys that have so much experience in you know the field of real estate, and that integrity is just so important. Like that's such a base principle, but it's something yeah. that goes a long way because this is a people person business ultimately, and and you know you got to make people happy, and you got to be able to network and be your true self. So thank you for that knowledge. That was already a yeah. gem, gem well, to start off the day. Yeah. Well, it's just like you know you can spend a lifetime building a reputation, right, and you can lose it in a day or in a minute, you know. And so, yeah, Mike and I are completely aligned on all these things. Um, honesty, integrity. If you screw up, you own it. You don't blame anyone else. Um, and, and it's funny because not everyone does this, but it is. It's base level stuff. That's what I tell all my kids. It's like these are base level things that like is applies to childhood, to adulthood, to working. 
you just need to be straight with people and be honest and, and maintain your integrity always. Yeah, that's great. So we kind of we haven't talked about this yet. So what is your true why with real estate? You know, you have so much experience in it. Like, what? Why do you do it? Why do you wake up every morning and continue to strive to be great in it? Yeah, um, that's a great question. You know that. Um, and I had to, I read that and I had to think about it uh, because it's like you kind of you go through your days. You don't always stop and reflect. But um, I love what we do. And I think Mike probably will say the same thing. I really, really love it. Um, like this is the happiest I've been in my career by far. Um, and I think the reason why is we're starting to get to the getting getting to a point where we can actually really focus and do the things that we uh, enjoy doing and that we think we're very good at doing. And so for me, what I like or why I show up every day is I love the hunt. So I love the hunt for um, good value, for mispriced risk, which is what we do. So I like finding a deal. I like putting it together. I like talking to the people. Obviously, in the work that we do, we talk to a lot of really um, interesting folks. Um, and like a wide, very, very wide spectrum of people that I deal with on a daily basis. Uh, obviously, doing the cannabis work, I can go li literally the course of my day can start with me talking to our tenant, who's a rapper and an MMA fighter, to talking to a bankruptcy lawyer later, to uh, talking to an elderly person that owns a property going by. I mean, it is like totally just wide open, and I love that. So, like, I, I like talking to people. Um, and I like dealing with people, and I love the just kind of how it's different every day. You know, I've, I've had other jobs that were very, like you kind of do the same thing every single day, and it's just that I get bored with it. So my, my patience, my, one of my weaknesses, my, I'm not overly patient with things, um, and I like a fast pace. And so having that every day is really, really fun. And then also, like what, the work that we're doing right now is pretty unique. And there's not a lot of people doing it, and we believe in it completely. And so it's just really cool to wake up every day and go out and try to execute on that from what started as an idea, and then see it put into action. You know, and we'll, you know, this started as a concept, just not out of our butt, but kind of out of our butt. Right? <laughs> it was a new idea. Nobody was doing it. And it, like it made sense in a theoretical world, but now we've actually done it, right? So we, we went from an, a weird idea six years ago to twenty buildings around the country where people are working, you know, leasing these buildings. Um, their businesses are successful. The real estate transactions are successful. Like that's really cool to take something from a concept to reality. And so that's the other thing that. I yeah, just that like trailblazing entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah, yeah, it's different. Yeah, a little different. Hundred percent. So we're just gonna jump into kind of how you guys structured things because in the introduction that we recorded, we talked about corporations, and so we're curious uh, how you guys set up your business and why you chose it that way. Okay, that's a good question, and uh, Mike, Mike handles a lot of the 
a lot of these things. Mike has an accounting background, and I'm not an accountant, I'm not a lawyer. Um, but from a layman's um, perspective, the way that we've set it up basically is, um, so there's a mothership uh, entity is the way I think about it. So it's a, a LLC, limited liability company. Um, and that mothership sits over a ton of other things. And all those other things, so whenever, like, Naeem worked with us in the summer, we had transactions in uh, Arizona and Las Vegas. Uh, whenever we do something, whenever we buy a building or make any investment, that is almost like its own little company. And we call it MSC for Morningside Capital, and usually the name of the street that the building's located on. It's not very, not very um, unique or clever. So... <laughs> We have a building in Phoenix on 43rd Avenue. It's called, or the deal is called MSC 43 LLC. Okay. So that is its own little company. So we have a bunch of those little companies that own each one of the individual assets. And then all the money, if you invest in that project, you know, you get a check, you write a check to MSC 43. MSC 43 sends you back a check when there's a distribution or like a stock dividend is a way to think about it from y'all's classes, um, you get money from that little company. The way our business is set up is that all our, our portion of each one of those investments flows into the mothership. Um, and any kind of fees that are generated out of the projects flows into that mothership. And then Mike and I own the mothership 50-50. And that's the way we set it up. Um, and the reason why, I think this is maybe one of your other questions, the reason why you have separate little companies own each one of the individual assets, I think is mostly done for liability reasons. Okay. So um, we don't, we don't intermingle buildings. Like if we have a building in Phoenix and have a building in Portland, we don't put those into the same entity. Okay. So everything is a standalone. It's almost like standalone little businesses that we have. And I think the main reason why we do that is if something really bad happens, honestly, um, there's there could be a, a lawsuit for some reason. There could be just whatever. Mm -hmm. Just choose your own bad adventure. Um, the problem, the problem will not infect other things. So it isolates where problems can happen. Um, and that's, I believe, that's really the primary reason why we set it up that way. There's also some there's tax reasons that Mike can speak to better of how the way. LLCs are taxed versus uh, partnerships and sole proprietorships and so on. It's also the most advantageous tax um, structure that you can have, but that's really more Mike's, Mike's world. I think it's really important for people to realize that there's all different types of entities that you can set up and you need to consult lawyers and CPAs and different things like that so you can make sure that you set it up correctly so if something does go wrong you might not be as liable or you know you can be able to protect more assets and you may not be able to be attacked as much so um. well there's also some weird stuff like uh, we do a lot in Oregon or we have historically done a lot in Oregon and so our Oregon companies are actually Oregon LLCs right hmm. so we can have a Texas a, we can have any state you can set it up and there's different tax laws, like you have to pay a state tax, um, state, not a state, state and city taxes that you have to pay in Portland. So there's 
there's all sorts of reasons. You're right. We, we always have good legal counsel that advises us aware of what to do with those things. But yeah, there's all kinds of, it's a whole universe. That's really interesting. So I guess this is a really important question is how do you and Mike play to each other's strengths? So what do you guys kind of like focus on within the company? If you have, you know, certain expertise, like how do you, how do you tailor to each other? That's a great question. I'd be curious what Mike said. Um, <laughs> no, uh, so there's, uh, everybody has different unique talents, right? Uh, just like in sports. So it's the same way in business. Uh, and then they have talents and then they have interests, right? So I think that's where you have to, you, you'll eventually you'll learn what your, what those things are for you, right? What are you, what are you actually good at? And what are you interested in? Not all of those two things are not always the same. And so I think the way we've set it up and now we've just really gotten to this place after six years is uh, to really, really spend 90% of our time doing what we're best at and what we're, we enjoy doing. And so generally speaking, the way that we split things up is um, I guess I'm in charge or my primary responsibility is the sourcing uh, and executing of new transactions, okay? And that's what I enjoy doing the most. So, talked about the why. What I love doing is I love the hunt. So, I love finding new opportunities, wrestling them to the ground, coming up with a plan for it, figuring out how we're going to make money, hopefully, um, and doing it, and then dealing with all the people that are involved in the transaction. So, you at different real estate companies that can be called sourcing, that can be called acquisitions. Um, we call it all of the above at Morningside. So that's that. That is really my core core. I would say strength and what I enjoy doing the most is finding the new deals, getting them tied up. Um, Underwriting them. When we say underwrite, that means kind of analyze uh, what we think, what we think we can do with this, putting it down, what we think the investor returns will be, um, and kind of crafting a pitch, right? So those are all the things that I like to do. Um, Mike, <clears throat> Mike really enjoys, uh, so Mike is in charge of capital raising, I would say, is his core, core function. And Mike is really good at it. Um, and he really enjoys doing it. And so a lot of what Mike does is Mike is spending time meeting with investors, talking to investors, giving our um, kind of company pitch, I would say, to people that don't know who we are, uh, and then giving the micro pitches too. And when I say micro pitch, like the way that we operate is – I go out and find something, we go through and do all this work, we figure out how the deal's going to work, we figure out how much money we need, we put together a pitch book, and then we, we basically disseminate this, the pitch book through an investor portal that we have. And if you're in our portal, then you'll see the investment. I think that's about 500 people will see our transactions right now. After that, we have a, 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 a decent portion of people that choose to invest in all of our projects. They've, they've invested with us for a long time. They trust us. If we're doing it, they want to do it too. So I would say we get a, we, we get a decent amount of capital raised that way. 
But then there's a whole other set of people, like new investors, and even some existing ones that were, that want to talk through every single transaction. So Mike spends a lot of time working on that as well. Um, and, and Mike's done an excellent job because if you think about this, when we started in 2015, I think I told Naeem this, our first transaction, we raised $525,000 to do our first transaction. That was in 2014. Fast forward to today, we have about $160 million that we've invested. Um, so pretty tremendous growth uh, over seven years. And a big, big part of that is Mike's ability to make relationships and to go out and meet new people. Uh, and, and I think the transactions have kind of spoken for themselves. Which So the, the two things go completely hand in hand. Yeah. Um, and then uh, we kind of split uh, what we call asset management responsibilities to an extent. Asset management is a big part of this too because <clears throat> once I find something and, we, and Mike raises the money and then we buy it, it's not like it's done, right? It still exists. There's things. I think Naeem heard like this summer, there's all sorts of stuff like on these Arizona transactions that we're doing where we're buying a vacant building, we've leased it to somebody, and then they got to do a massive construction project. And so the first year, really, of a lot of these investments are serious, you know, tens of millions of dollars of construction projects that are happening that we're not necessarily, it's not like we're out there swinging hammers, but we're staying on top of it, we're staying apprised of the tenant. There's those types of things, and then there's little things, like uh, the plumbing is backed up in a building. Right? So there's all sorts of stuff that happens to these assets, and that's where Neva and Skyler have really done a great job of handling a lot of the day-to-day stuff that Mike and I, honestly, I was spending 90, so in 2020, I was spending 90% of my time doing asset management stuff. This is where you talk about like getting to a point where you're doing what you like and what you're good at. That's not a good use of time. If I'm spending 90% of my time doing that, before that, Mike was spending 90% of his time doing accounting. That's a bad use of his time. That's very expensive. Um, and so now we're just now getting to a place where I can do that. But we still sort of um, split up the asset management responsibilities. And then Mike's in charge of back office accounting and things like that as well. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. If it took you guys a while to kind of hit your stride and figure out who's better at what, but it sounds like it didn't. Well, yeah, and then really the truth is when you start – um, there's no one else, right? Yeah. So it's like um, we have to. You have to do everything. So we split it up how however we could. Luckily, Mike is a CPA by training, so he had the accounting on lockdown since we started. Um, and you know, but that's how we started our career at Lionstone. It was very small when we started, so we would source, we would find acquisitions, and then we would work on the asset management too. It was very unique place when we started because we got to do all kinds of, of stuff and they actually gave us just way more responsibility than they should frankly for the <laughs> experience we had but it was great yeah. you know, it, was, it was great learning experience so yeah it, it takes a while you gotta just do everything at first yeah so this kind of just leads right into the next question it's like you know you you've had all this 
different types of work that you have to do on your day-to-day job and you can I can we can really see right now that it's important to build your team to be able to delegate these certain responsibilities and whatnot so how do you find great employees and what do you look for when hiring yeah that's a great question um so like throughout my career what, what I would say is most important is um, attitude and aggressiveness are the most important traits that I look for personally. Um, when I think about um, if I think someone will be successful, I would I choose attitude every day of the week uh, over a resume of somebody that went to a fancy school. Uh, we don't deal with bad attitudes, period. Uh, we don't deal with assholes, period. These are some of our kind of core, core, you know, rules. Um, and we want people, or I look for people that are willing to um, be aggressive. Okay, you, you need to you need to be able that you're not going to have complete information. Like in school, you get, you know, what the answer is, right? In real life, it doesn't happen like that. In real life. Maybe you, you know 60% of what you need to know, and then you have to have the judgment, right? And you don't, you don't really have judgment at first when you're first starting, but you can still go through the process and come to some conclusion that's well thought out, that's logical, that's reasonable. And so, like, you know, take a shot. Like, that's what I would say. Even if, even if you're going to get beat up, and we don't really do that to our people. We've worked at other places where they're not literally beat up, like in football, but, um, you know, where you're going to get humiliated. Yeah. Yeah. We've worked at places that are like that. Uh, that's not really the culture that we have. Um, but, you know, you, you learn a lot from those experiences. And so, yeah, attitude, aggressiveness, you know, willingness to work, um, and also willingness to be flexible. Right? So this is another thing, um, especially like for a company like ours that's really small. We need people that can kind of do a lot of different things. It's not always going to be fun stuff or glamorous stuff. And frankly, that's not that shouldn't be your expectation for your first job anyway, your first few jobs really. Um, you're going to do the bullshit, the grunt work. I mean, that's just part of the deal. Um, it's, but, but having that kind of attitude of like, what can I do to help? You know, like, what can I do to make your life easier? Be helpful. Um, th- those are the types of traits that we look for. Obviously, you know, we, we want to hire people that are intelligent, um, that can, you know, present their ideas in a clear way, concise. Uh, being concise is another thing that something else you'll get as you get further in your career. Um, so, yeah, those are, the, those are really the big ones. I would say I look for it. And where you went to school is um, secondary in my opinion. Yeah, I think that speaks volumes that, you know, even though that we go to Rice, like nothing's really handed to you. I think that at the end of the day, it's all about when you're young is having optimism and always trying to seek out different learning opportunities. And I think when when you're, you know, you're young and forever in your life, you can always learn. So I think that's something that's really important. And um, just, just uh, so kind of going off that is like, 
what learning opportunities do you give to your employees just just to keep trying to accelerate them and just make sure that they can do whatever they need to do yeah so like the places that we came from are um we will and we don't really say it like this but um we'll give you as much rope as you can take until you hang yourself you know um so i like skylar and neva especially on the asset management stuff they can they can almost they can run with it right so we want people to come in and at first you know they're going to have tons of questions that's totally understandable but we want people to come in take ownership of whatever it is you're doing um and almost you do the work and then you come to us with a recommendation um, come with a recommendation. Don't come with a problem. Even if it is a problem, still think of what do you think a solution is and come with a recommendation. You may, may not agree, um, and we may think it's a bad idea based on something we know that you don't know, but that's okay. Um, and so we let, you know, the, the girls, I'll just call them the girls collectively, um, they do a good job with that, right? Like they take and run with these projects. Um, and then come to us with like, here, this is what you should do. And usually we say we agree. Um, I mean, like Naeem, you got to see this summer on the, on the research project you guys did. I think y'all probably had a lot of freedom to do um, what, you, what you wanted to do to make calls and talk to people about um, about the research that y'all were doing. And we're all for that. Um, and so really, I, you know, we will, I will, I, I'm not going to be the one that holds somebody back. If you're ready to run, we'll run. And if you're not ready to run, then we're not going to run. So, yeah, we're, we're small, so we need doers. You know, be a doer. That's another kind of just advice for working. Um, yeah. yeah. So I know Naeem, you interned there. So it's like, why do you guys take on interns, you know, and you're in such a small company, it's, it's a small company, but it's at the same time the risks are high because you got a lot of money and everything going around. So, why do you take on interns with you know such high stakes and everything? It's a good question. Um, so, it's uh, I would say it's pretty foundational actually. So, when me and Mike started in '08 with our first venture that didn't go well, um, we actually had uh, Rice interns back then. His name was Preston Thompson, and he played football. Hmm. Um, and, you know, Mike has been very close with Rice. You know, I think to this day, he's very close with Rice and that really loves um, Rice. And so what we what we set out to do was, um, and our, Naeem and Trey don't really fit into this category as much, but what we had done historically was give internships to people that probably couldn't get internships like that in other, in, in, for whatever reason. Like th- those guys are in grad school. They're sharp guys, but um, like a Preston wouldn't have probably gotten an internship like that. He got some real world experience to come in um, and work with us. So there's certainly another guy, a basketball player named Cliff uh, Gorham. Um, so like a lot of times it's people that don't come from big fancy backgrounds that wouldn't have the opportunity otherwise. Um, and it was, you know, part of it was like, it's a good thing to do. It's the right thing to do. Um, people have good attitudes and like, we're, we're here to help. That's part of, you know, the part of the reason why we do this. Um, and then we get good value out of it too, frankly, 
like the research project that Naeem, we had the two Rice boys and two UT boys, so I got my UT guys in too. Um, and they did these research projects that were actually really helpful for us. So we get good value out of it too, you know? Um, and I think the guys got to learn a lot during the summer. And so um, it's, it's a pretty win-win situation we have set up. Yeah, I, I think that kind of ties into what we just recorded with our last episode is mm-hmm. like the idea of always giving back. And um, I think that's something obviously you guys get value out of it and just, you know, get to network and, you know, just have a good time with it. But it's always the idea of like giving back and just trying to be a good person for, you know, the community around you and just giving people opportunities. So I think that's really cool. So can you talk about what are some of the benefits of being a limited partner instead of a, G, a general partner in a deal? Yeah, and just before, I know Naeem has talked to me about this like limited partner, general partner stuff, but could you like define it for the audience if, you know, if they don't know? Yeah, we can make it real simple. And then I was curious on your question, Naeem, if you, you had it reversed or you, you really wanted to know benefits of being a limited partner versus general partner. But, you um, can talk about both, honestly. Okay. Yeah, real simple. Um, we, we can we can simplify it really well. So a limited partner is um, so on all of our transactions as a general partner. You know, on all of our transactions, the general partner will be uh, the mothership. We talked about the mothership early on, so that's basically Mike and Crisco. Okay, so uh, it's called MSCCE is the name of the entity. And that's the general partner on all of our transactions, generally speaking. Um, The general partner is responsible for basically finding the deal and executing on the deal, raising the funds, and then distributing the funds when it's all said and done. So they, they are in charge of the project completely. They have all the responsibility. They have all the say.
we we will put in less of the uh, required capital as the general partner, and we get a larger portion of the profits uh, versus the initial investment that we make. Okay, so if you're a limited partner and you uh, put in ten percent of the money, you're going to get ten percent of the profit. Generally speaking, um, as the general partner, we might put in five percent of the money, but we can ex if it goes right. We can make twenty percent of the profit, and that's what's known as the carried interest, um, and that's what you get as the general partner for putting the project together um, and executing and making it successful. So the economic uh, upside is greater for the general partner. Yeah, and that's uh, something that I was just kind of curious with this question. It was a little different, and I just think that. You know, for people that are new and starting off, like generally you're looking for more high net worth individuals to invest with you guys. But for someone that maybe has never started in investing and may is interested, like I think being an LP could be a good way to get started because it's kind of more of a hands off experience. Right. And it'll allow you just to be able to uh, invest yeah. without all that risk and just like, you know, it just kind of gets your feet wet. You can learn a lot. Yeah, sure. That, that's a great point. Um, and that, that would be, that is a, yeah, that's an awesome point that I forgot is that it is as strictly limited partner, you can invest, um, like when people invest in our projects, we send them quarterly reports to talk about what's going on. So like, if you're just getting started, um, it's a great way to learn really without having to do all the, all, all the heavy lifting and so on. So, um, yeah, that, that's a, that's a good point. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, so just moving on, we've talked to a lot of people in real estate now and they all talk about the importance of networking with other people and just how that, know, who it's really about who you know and not what you know necessarily. Can you speak to how that's helped in your business? Yeah, I mean, it's a relationship business for sure. Um, you know, we're in Houston, so we're, we're lucky. Houston's a, a big city. There's lots and lots of people. Um, but in real estate, it's a pretty small community, really, even though there's, I don't know how many people work in real estate, commercial real estate, Houston, but easily well north of a thousand. Um, but it's funny how many people you know, or you'll come into contact with over the course of your career, uh, wherever, you know, I think I, like we told Naeem and Trey, it's like, if you guys are interviewing someplace, let us know, because we probably know somebody or we can, we can at least get like a warm uh, warm introduction for you. So yeah, networking is huge. Um, forming relationships, like we talked about being honest with people always, as kind of a base level um, behavior, uh, will go well with you because your reputation follows you, right? So um, depending on who it is we're talking about, people will generally have the same perception, like he's got a good reputation, he's got a bad reputation. Um, and so, yeah, networking is huge, not only from, I mean, from like the nuts and bolts side, like on the transaction side, uh, depending on what you're doing, if you have good relationships with sales brokers, uh, that can help you uh, in many ways, uh, particularly like when you're looking for off-market stuff. I know that was one of the questions you guys asked later on, um, but having those relationships to where maybe you get a call before other people do, uh, that's critical. Um, on the capital side, having the relationships with investors that makes your business go. So, yeah, networking is a big part of it, um, and it you know it changes throughout your career. Like you, you 
I don't I don't go to like really formal networking events at this point. Um, I would, but like that was something I would do more when I was younger. Uh, there's a, uh, a program called ULI, Urban Land Institute, which is a good one if you're interested in real estate. That'd be something you could join. Mm-hmm. And they have different meetings you can go to and kind of meet. There's like a young professionals group in there um, that I used to be in. Uh, so like that's a good that's a good networking thing you can do. So yeah, networking is huge. Relationships are huge. Um, you know, so yeah, the, real estate is has more of a, I would say, a relationship orientation than maybe some other businesses do. Um, and so, yeah, that's a it's a critical component for sure. Yeah, no, thank you for that. Um, and we'll put the ULI link in the uh, show notes yeah. for everybody who wants to listen to it or see it. Yeah, so you just kind of brought it up, but what are some of the best ways to find off market deals? Uh, that's a good question. It's hard. Um, so that was what, when we worked at Lionstone, we did a lot of work on off-market transactions. That was something I worked on a lot, personally. Um, it's really hard. Uh, but the key is uh, the relationships. And if you're looking for off-market transactions, um, that would consist, a big part of that is having good broker relationships. So no matter what you're doing, um, like at 15 years ago, we were buying a lot of old apartments that were really uh, land. Okay, so it's become a pretty common thing to say now, but it wasn't 15 years ago. You'd say it's a, um, a covered land play. Okay, and a covered land play was basically, it could be whatever. It could be an apartment complex, it could be a retail center, it could be an office building. That's what exists. But that's really not the highest and best use. Really what it is, is you're buying land. Um, And so like what we were looking for was something that we could buy on sort of a cap rate basis. I don't, we don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole in this conversation, but something that had some cash flow. So something that like an apartment complex that might provide a four or 5% return, but we're getting into it at land value or below land value. So, we did, I did a lot of work with a couple of brokers back 15 years ago to find those transactions. And once they knew what we wanted, so it's getting a, it's, it's finding a, uh, a bird dog, is what we'd say, or, or bulldog too. Um, somebody that's willing to go out and hustle and call property owners. Um, and the, the way that you do that is you explain exactly what you're looking for. And once they know exactly what you want and they know that you can actually pull it off and write a check, because honestly, these guys only get paid if the transaction happens. So you can't, you don't want to waste anyone's time. That's another another piece of advice. So don't waste people's time. Um, but uh, yeah, so having broker relationships and then uh, we called it guerrilla sourcing at one point in time. And that was basically, we would do whatever, like all sorts of methods. I've called owners themselves, property owners, myself, and tried to get some traction that way, um, which is not very efficient. But <laughs> yeah, the broker relationships is huge. To this day, to, in terms of what we're doing in Phoenix and other cities, having uh, bulldog brokers that know exactly what we want that are on the hunt for us is, uh, is critical to our business. So... It's hard. Yeah, and I think it's really important uh, for 
people, wherever you're an investor, whether it's like residential or commercial, I think that it's important to know that in different cities and areas, there can be different ways to find off-market deals. And like this, this method might work best for you per se, Chris, but for someone else, maybe they have to go driving for dollars is something where, you know, you go look at properties in your car and just drive the neighborhood or, you know, you, uh, yeah. yeah. And like, there's just different methods such as that. So I, I think that people have to be able to go out and find, you know, go be that go-getter and try to find what works best for you. Yeah, we, I was at, I was at a, a party the other night with my kids, and there were some parents there, actually, and um, one of the guys there, they wanted to live on this block, like, like in Braves Heights, like just this one block, and because a bunch of, the, like, three friends lived on this block, and he put a letter in everybody's mailbox and said, I'd like to buy your house, or in every, like, older houses, and uh, that's how he found the lot that he bought and they built a house on. So like, that's an off-market transaction, right? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's it's uh, there's lots of hustle and lots of bulldogging. Yeah, like uh, Wayne Gretzky says, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take, right? That's right. Yeah. And Michael Scott puts Michael Scott. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was literally thinking that. Yeah, um, so you guys are obviously entrepreneurs in a s- smaller company, and you guys do a lot of the work yourself. So can you talk about like the mindset that you guys have had to adopt to you know, run your own show? Yeah, I mean, um, the first thing is, uh, it's kind of like what we talked about what you want from the people that work here is uh, aggressiveness, right? Uh, you need to be ready to come and show up every day and uh, be aggressive. Uh, and like I would say, like self-discipline is another critical component, right? So, and kind of hand in hand with that is um, no laziness, right? So, like everybody has lazy days for whatever reason. So, I'm not saying I'm never lazy or I'm not inefficient if I'm just tired or whatever. Kids are being difficult, and I just need to check out for a bit. Um, but that can't be your. That can't be your. Um, that can't be like your normal state. And some people are just lazy. This is just a fact. For whatever reason, they're just not aggressive. And they're just kind of lazy. If that's the way, and you'll discover this about yourself at some point in life. And if that's your natural state, being an entrepreneur is probably not a good thing to try to do. Because you will fail, uh, generally speaking, and so uh, because because there's nobody that's going to look over your shoulder and say like, "Hey, get to work, Mike." You know, it's like we don't. There's no boss, right? Like we don't have a, a boss per se, other than our investors. Um, we exist because of our investors, and uh, if we screw that up, then the business is done, right? So that's, they're really our boss, but they're not calling us day to day saying, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't mm-hmm. you doing that? Like a traditional work environment. So you have to have, I think a lot of it's being a self-starter um, and being aggressive, being not afraid to fail. Um, and if you're, you also need to be able to live with a certain level of uncertainty and a certain comfort with risk taking. Um, those are all the things I think that are critical for an entrepreneur. Some people are just risk averse. Again, that's this is probably not a good spot to be in. Um, and being comfortable with uncertainty, like 
we live with a lot of uncertainty on a day-to-day -day basis. Like right now, we have a lot of uncertainty on some of the projects that we're working on. Um, and I, a new thing I've told Mike, I like the analogy, this is before y'all's time probably. There was a show called The Price is Right. I don't know if it's still on. But they would play this game called Plinko. And you drop these like discs in the thing and they bounce around. And yep. like yep. one of them wins like, you want $1,000 cash? And the other one's like, you stepped in a pile of shit. Right? <laughs> like, there's like widely varying outcomes of what can happen. So like we've got a few things that are like Plinko chips right now. Like uh, we think they're going to end up on a good one. Um, but we could end up in a bad one. And so, and like some people just don't want to work in an environment that has that much uncertainty. Yeah. And like our environment does. And like it's just something that I think me and Mike can both kind of deal with and live with. And I kind of like the chaos. You know, that's another part, aspect of my personality. And there's a part, part of it that I, I crave it. I crave the chaos. Yeah. Was it tough at first to transition from, you know, working for someone else in a job to being ready to take that leap, you know, especially after you guys failed the first project too? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was. I mean, back in 08, I don't think, I think we were a little bit naive uh, looking back. Um, it was still a big jump. And uh, I mean, my wife got pregnant when 2010, the world was not a good spot to be in. She was pregnant with twins. Oh, wow. So, and we were working on our own. So, like, um, you definitely have, like, a no-shit moment. Uh, and, and so, you know, when we first started that, we were probably a little bit naive. But you get um, you get a pretty big dose of reality pretty fast. Um, and you either continue on and work really hard and try to make it work, which we did. Um, or you don't, and you go back and work for somebody else. And then this more recent iteration in 14, uh, we'd already done it before. Uh, it was Mike and I, and then we had a third partner who we, we, we decided that we, we would part ways with about a year and a half ago. But the three of us started. We are in a much better place in 2014 when we did this. Um, but even then, still, I mean, it was, I, I think I gave it like a, maybe – 18 to 24 months runway to say like, let's, let's take a shot. We think we have a good idea. Let's see if it works. But if it didn't work, you always have to, you know, live in reality. And if it didn't work, then I was, you know, I could accept having to go back and doing a, doing a job job. Yeah. Just putting all your chips in the middle. So like with taking that leap, did you got, did you ever have like a mentor that, you know, encouraged you to get you there and that kind of, you know, showed you the ropes or, that's a good question. Um, you know, I've, I don't know, I've never like had a quote unquote mentor that like I asked somebody to be a mentor, but you, you do get mentors, uh, working at places. So, um, I learned a lot on my very first job working with the guy doing the investment banking, working for just the guys that were right above me. So I was an analyst, which is a typical thing, you know, the first job you get. And then you get promoted to an associate. So I learned a lot from those guys, the guys that were associates that were, I don't know, maybe four or five years older than me. They served as good mentors like early in my career, like learning how to just the nuts and bolts parts of a job. Um, and then at Lionstone, the guys that we worked for there were really, really experienced guys that uh, had seen a lot, done a lot, 
And there was one there in particular that I, you know, I looked up to as a mentor, a guy named Glenn. Um, that was, uh, he's to this day, he's the best person I've worked for in my career um, in multiple facets, not just in knowledge of real estate, but just um, just like a good person and um, I think wise about life, honestly. So, yeah, you're going to get that, I think, um, where you work. And if you don't have one, you should find one. Yeah, I think it's important to note that like mentors can come in many shapes and fashions. Um, it, it can come from really anywhere. And I think also that it's just really important to always, you know, be be uh, knowledgeable of people's time too. Like mm -hmm. when you're searching for one, like if, for example, Chris, you're my mentor, I shouldn't just hit you up 24-7. Like there's you know, there's certain times and different aspects of that, just that relationship that you guys can have. So yeah. uh, for someone Mike and I's age, what are some of the most important skills to learn? Yeah, that's a good one. I mean, there's some, I would say there's some like um, just nuts and bolts ones like um, that are like you can pick up a book and anybody will tell you this, but like the Microsoft Office software is good stuff that you guys want to have at least some comfort level with and, and there I mean you guys are probably using Word all the time for college and grad school or whatever but um, Excel is something that you'll probably use a lot I mean it kind of depends on what what you think what kind of work you're going to go to go into but <clears throat> almost anything you go into there's going to be some level of Microsoft Excel that you use um, and PowerPoint is another one that you'll you'll probably use quite a lot. So, like having a base level understanding of those things, I don't know how much people are learning those. Like we learned just very little when I was in college. That was a long time ago. My guess is that um, you learn quite a bit more now. And you know, I'll let you know a secret. No matter how much you think you know from your grad school class. Um, you're going to learn more your first week of work than you yeah. are. Uh, it's a shame because yeah. how much money it costs. But the truth is you just don't learn much in those things, unfortunately. And I mean, like you have to do it. It's the system, right? It's the system that we have in place. But uh, you're going to learn a lot more on the job. So like there's basic like work skills stuff there. Um, but then, you know, there's a like more subjective aspect, which is um, – like being athletes, I think you guys will have this intrinsically, but like there's the aggressiveness component, like to get up, I got to get up at five in the morning to go work out. You know, it's just, you can apply the same mentality to work. Like I'm going to show up, I want to get to work before my boss every day. Um, I'm going to stay later than him every day, even if I don't even know what the f I'm doing. It's just like, it's a good, it's just a good, it's a mindset. Yeah. Right? Like, and, and I don't, you can't read that in a book. You just learn that mindset, mm -hmm. um, and then you apply it. So, like, those are important things. And, then like, Naeem did a really good job. I'm not just saying that because we're doing this. But, like, on the boys did a, a, a presentation at the end of their internship on their research project. And, like, uh, having confidence when you speak uh, and speak articulately and quickly um, – and like that's something that that's hard for a lot of people, but it's, it's something that you can improve on. 
So like public speaking, anything, you know, like in your classes or whatever, stuff like that. Like that's that's really, really valuable. Um, not that you're going to be giving presentations as an entry-level person much, but still, it's a, it's a good, a huge skill set to have. Yeah, absolutely. So like this podcast is all about, you know, teaching people about real estate investing and the opportunity that it presents. So for someone who's like new, brand new to it, where, where do you think they should start? How should they start? That's a good question. Um, well, I think if you're interested in it, uh, there's a lot of different avenues that you can go into, right? So like real, and we, let's just stick with commercial because residential is a whole other universe too that we don't really deal with. But if within commercial real estate, there are literally a hundred different careers from um, asset management like we talked about to uh, leasing, you know, and, and leasing can be leasing of strip centers to leasing office buildings to leasing you name it um so there's there's really a very very wide universe that you can study or that you can go into and i but i think i think if you're interested in it um just getting a foot in the door is the most important thing because more than likely whatever you think you want to do is not going to be what you end up doing right and so, um, if it's uh, something that you're interested in, just get in somewhere. And even if it's not what you think you want to do, just like just go take a shot, right? And like leasing is a great way to start a career because you learn about all different aspects of a building and dealing with people, the tenants, and the economic, the financial side of it, the economics of the lease. Like leasing is an excellent way to start in real estate. Project management, asset management is excellent too because you get to learn like really the day-to-day stuff. Um, acquisitions, I, a lot of people want to do that. That's what I really wanted to do. Uh, you can clearly learn a heck of a lot doing that. That's usually a harder one, honestly, to get into right out of school because usually they want people that have worked um, before they have those jobs. But um, yeah, I mean, just get just get in, you know, just get in the door, and then work your butt off um, and don't worry about if it's not what you think you want to do. Just try it because you may end up really liking it or you may hate it and that's valuable to learn too. Yeah, that's an awesome answer. So what are some of your short and long-term goals and like how do you kind of get there? And You know, you have a family, so how do they play a part in it too? <laughs> that's a good question. Um, I'm curious what Mike said. Mike's been saying he wants to retire in 10 years. <laughs> um, Mike's a little bit older than me, though. Uh, I have no intentions of retiring anytime soon. Um, I think my dad worked till he was like 77. I'm not saying I want to do that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, short, short and long-term goals, I would say short-term, we're probably not too far away from hitting some of our short-term goals. Um, our short-term goals would be, or my personal short-term goals would be is, um, we need to get this last 12 to 18 months have been really, really hard charging, running 100 miles an hour. Uh, what I've told the girls um, is like we're, we're, we're building the plane when we fly the plane. Um, like we're, we're, we're doing a lot of transactions. We're raising a lot of money. We're going, we're going pretty fast. Um, and the stuff that we're doing is, 
is not simple. And so, like, that's not really a sustainable pace over the long term. And so, like, short term, I think we would get the plane to level off over the next 12 months. We've got a big pipeline that we're digesting right now that we think will be closing in the next two months. Uh, and then after that, then we'll probably take some inventory and maybe slow down just a little bit on the sourcing front. Uh, we also need to address probably, we probably need to make one or maybe two hires in the next 12 months, maybe a little a little bit more support on the acquisition side and then maybe on the asset management side as well. Having somebody that maybe has a little bit more experience than Skylar and Eva um, that have done this for their whole careers just because the projects were doing real complicated. So short term uh, would be to not, not live in fire drill mode all the time. Um, and I think we get there over the next four months. And then long term, um, you know, it's taken a long time to get to this place. So like, Fear of when we first started, like with I have a do have a family, a wife and two boys that are will be eleven in a couple of weeks, twins. Um, when we first started, you're worried about like, oh my god, if this doesn't work, like we're gonna lose everything. We're kind of past that point. Um, we've been we've been fortunate in that to where um, you know things are not gonna implode, knock on wood. Um, so like we've got we've got some good runway, we've got some good um, you know, we've got a good road right in front of us, so that that's not really a concern. That like this is all going to just go away, and I'm going to have to sell my house. Run. That that was re- that was realistic 15 years ago, um, and even 10 years ago. But we're not, we're kind of past that. So more long term, I would say is um, having even more financial stability, and then having an organization that um, is still doing smart investments that we like to do and we're still having a lot of fun with it um and you know i don't know how big the organization gets or anything like that or how much money i don't really think about that stuff at all truthfully um but but maybe getting it to be a little bit bigger uh and a little bit more sustainable where mike and i if mike wants to retire he can retire i'll probably keep going for a while um but i you know i don't want to work the same level I'm working today in 10 years. So getting to this kind of happy, balanced place would be a good long-term goal. Yeah. That's a hard thing to define. Yeah, yeah. It's always easier said than done, right? Yep. Yeah. So, well, thanks, Chris. We're going to start wrapping things up. We've taken a lot of your time. So we just have our what we call our exit interview portion. It's just five quick questions. Sure. Um, so the first one is, do you have a favorite real estate or business book? You know, this is totally Mike's alley. Mike loves the business books. I hate business books, uh, personally. I read I read a lot of junk. I read, I did, I'm an avid reader, but I read a lot of nonfiction stuff. Mm-hmm. I did read one, and I can't remember what it's called, but I can email you guys, um, that Mike and I read. And I meant to text him and ask him to remind me what the name of the, um, the title was. So let me get back to you on that. But it was what was really good about it was, like, it gave you, like, action action items like lists that you could make and it was all about setting goals that was mm. that was the point of it was coming up with short and long-term goals and a way to like do it formally with a set of questions that you could come up with it was called like impact or something like that. it was one of these cheesy business yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah that, that's a good one uh, let me get back to you on the okay video. yeah we'll make sure to add that in the show notes so sure. uh, 
If you had to restart today, what would you do differently? <laughs> I mean, that's a really good question. I mean, the simple answer is I wouldn't change anything, right? Because uh, everything kind of, even if it's a bad experience, it leads to something else. But, you know, honestly, like one thing I've actually, I read that question, so I thought about it a little bit. And um, I don't think I spent enough time, like, uh, like doing physical stuff. So, like, taking care of your body physically. Um, I've gotten much more into it in the last five years. But, like, earlier in my career, I did not do that. And, you know, I got overweight. And, like, you just start getting, and as you guys will see, it's probably hard to know right now because you guys are, big-time athletes, but, like, as you get older, your body starts to fade, right? And it, it takes longer to recover. It takes longer to stay in shape. So, like, staying physically fit, um, I think, is really important. That's something I would do. I would try to have done earlier, like, in my late 20s or early 30s, um, I think would have been a good idea to do. Um, and then also, like, um, there's a, a, a mental aspect to it also, right? So, like, uh, being being a little bit more and not to go like hokey, but like like there's a spiritual side too, right? And it doesn't have to be church or whatever, but like um, just thinking about like your your mind um, and making sure your mind is healthy um, and like on the inside, like that's something I, I probably would have done better if I had to redo things. But career wise, I wouldn't change anything. No, yeah, that's that's good stuff. So our next question is, as a real estate investor, what is the most important thing in order to be successful? Um, well, I would say is um, focus on what you know <laughs> is uh, probably the most important thing. Uh, we think, like for us, we're, and this is pretty different, like, some people know apartments really well, some people know retail really well, some people know office really well. What we think we know really well is uh, value and uh, mispriced risk. So like that's where we focus our time. So I, I can't tell you about apartments as well as our friends that work at Dinnerstein or Hanover. Um, I can't tell you as much about office as our friends at Heinz or other places. They, they know those things better, but I think what we know better is um, identifying these sort of trends where you end up with this mispriced risk. And that's really what we pursued throughout our careers. Um, so like for any investor, it's focus on what you know. Um, I don't really invest in anything I don't understand. Mike's done like the crypto stuff. He did really well with the Bitcoin. But like, I just don't understand that stuff. So I stay away from anything I don't understand or anything that somebody can't really explain to me. Like, yeah, they're explaining it to my mom. If somebody can't do that, then I just don't do it. And it may end up being a really good idea, but I just personally don't do it. So doing doing what you know, investing in what you know, or investing with people that you think know what they're doing, I would say is really, really important. Um, and also, uh, I also like would say don't go all in on something uh, unless you really, 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 really have a lot of conviction. And even so, I would say pump the brakes a little bit. Um, like spread your risk out over multiple things would be another tip I would have. Awesome. So our next question is, is there anything right now that the listeners can do to add value to you and your business? Uh, that's a good question. Um, 
No, I mean, you know, we, we like meeting you guys. Uh, we had a great time this summer. And if you guys know people that would be interested in uh, being interns, that would be good for us to know. Like I say, it's a two-way street. We get a lot out of it. I think you guys get a lot out of it, too. Um, if you know people that you think would be good, you, you guys know us pretty well, especially you name what we're kind of looking for. That can be helpful. Um, if anybody has a rich uncle, we'd like to meet him. <laughs> um, you know, stuff like that. But no, but seriously, uh, those are some little things you guys can do. Send us some, send us some work. Send us some, some labor. Yeah, no, absolutely. So our last question is, where is a good place to find you and reach out? Yeah, I think uh, Neem has all my contact info, but you guys can email me at, at ccolato at msidecap.com. Um, and then our website's msidecap.com. Uh, and then I think you have my phone number. People are welcome to call me as well if they'd like. Awesome. Yeah. You know, just Mike and I really appreciate yeah, your no, time. Thank you, Chris. And this was awesome. Yeah, it was really a pleasure to have you on the show. And, you know, just take care and we'll definitely be in touch. Okay, you guys, let us know if you don't need to take Yeah. All right. Thank Thanks, you. Chris. So, Naeem, what'd you think? Yeah, I think there was just a lot to take away from Chris today. Obviously, he's super experienced in the business and, you know, he's had over 20 years of real estate and real estate investing. And I think uh, he just had some very basic concepts that he knows just about business in general, whether that's hiring, what, you know, what an entrepreneur like mindset should be. Um, just like, so those were some of the things I took away, just like being a good person, integrity is so important. And then like, what's, what's the difference between an LP and GP was something that was kind of cool. And just like, what are some of the benefits of being both? And yeah, so that's kind of my takeaways. What, what about you? Yeah. I thought he explained that LP and GP differences perfectly. Uh, cause before I didn't really, I kind of grasp it, but now I got it, you know, down pat. I also loved how he and Mike were so aligned with the integrity, you know, and just doing what they say they're going to do. I thought that was pretty cool to see. So it's definitely, you know, an ethical company, which is cool. And then I just love his whole mindset. You know, he's aggressive. He's willing to take risks. And that's the way you got to be. If you're going to be an entrepreneur and if you're going to be in real estate investing, you've got to be willing to, uh, to risk it and talk about, you know, willing to fail and learn from those failures. I thought that was cool that we just recorded that book episode and here it is popping up again. It's a lot of themes that are the similar in, you know, whether it's commercial real estate, residential real estate, or just any type of success. So. And I think that can really just apply to life in general too. I mean, yeah. So it's just going to make you a better person in all aspects of your life. So yeah, just shout out to Chris for coming on to the show today. So yeah, I know we definitely appreciate him and Mike and uh, their time. So, but yeah, I think that wraps things up, right? Yeah, so once again, make sure you guys please rate, review, subscribe, and share our podcast. And for now, my name is Mike Collins alongside my co-host, Naeem Smith. This is the Greenlight Real Estate Podcast, the go-getter's guide to real estate investing and financial freedom. And we're signing off.